All right, join me in the 33rd book, Micah, Micah chapter 6. Let's begin by reading verses 9 through 16. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, The man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied, and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And thou shalt take hold, but shalt not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. And sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab. And ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof in hissing. Therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. So we covered verse 9 last week where we considered there's a time that God will speak to us in a still small voice. But there are times when God has to cry aloud in order to get our attention. And there appears to be a pattern in the Bible, I still haven't, really research this, but there does appear to be a pattern off the top of my head that those who are lost, those who are backslidden, God cries out to because they're not going to hear the still small voice. So God has to cry out to them in order to try to shake them up and get their attention. Remember Proverbs chapter 1 verses 20 through 23 says, Wisdom crieth without. By the way, if you research that, wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning. And fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold... I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Why does God have to cry out? Because He wants to make His word known. He wants us to know Him better. And that's what we see in verse 9. That the rod's coming, but it says that the wise man hears the rod and sees thy name, sees God's name, sees God in it all. And so this is God's goodness when the Lord cries out to us. And and the Lord may cry out to us in all kinds of ways. It it could be through His Word, amen. It could be through circumstances in life that we go through. We miss it a lot of times. And so God gives us more circumstances. And God's just trying to get His voice through to us. But we miss it because Jesus said, The people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, that I should heal them. So, Jesus is crying out. 
to heal. But we have to be willing to see and to hear. And God wants us to hear the rod approaching so that we'll straighten up before the rod has to be applied. If we don't respond to the knowledge of the rod, God will eventually apply the rod. I know that was true in my childhood. I don't know about yours. And we talked about how we aren't to despise the chastening of the Lord because God's chastening yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's to get us back in line with Him. It's to get us to bear fruit again and, and, and to honor Him, to glorify Him in our lives. And so God is always at work. Thank God for that. It's because He loves us. He just wants us to see Him and to walk humbly with Him. Now, we need to be wise enough to see God's judgment in the circumstances or in the corrections that He's making. We need to be wise enough to perceive that. And a lot of times people aren't wise enough to perceive that, and so they end up getting mad at God, and they end up getting bitter at God, and they end up blaming God for everything because I tried serving God and see it didn't help. No. Could be God still trying to get your attention. So, is God trying to get your attention this morning? Now, as we begin today, we find God asking in verse 10, Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? So after all the warnings, okay, now if you got a picture, God here has been generationally, years, decades, centuries, since they came out of Egypt, God's been trying to get their attention on how to live, what commands He wants them to follow. And the whole time, we saw it earlier, God sent them prophets. Remember that up there in verse 5, I think it was? Well, now i got to see if I said the right one. Verse 4. I sent you Moses. I sent you Miriam. I sent you Aaron. I sent you prophets. And listen, He sent prophets the whole time. But people don't want to hear the prophet. Who are you to tell me how to live? I'm nobody to tell you how to live, but God's Word is. Meanwhile, everybody's lives are falling apart. Marriage is falling apart. Kids running roughshod over families. Because you're not going to tell me how to live. What's God's doing? He's sending His prophets. And God here is saying, are there yet the treasures of wickedness? Haven't I been dealing with this? Haven't I been trying to tell you? Then why are there still treasures of wickedness in your house? It's in the house of the wicked. They still have it. Why is all this still going on? Why are you continuing to do wickedly? God calls it the treasures of wickedness. Proverbs 10.2 says, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. God said their wicked treasures were located in their houses of wickedness. So what this is telling us is, this is wealth that they got through sinful means. Through sinful means. We don't have what they're talking about in our text today. We don't have false balances. We don't have diverse measures and weights. But you know what? I know a lot of people that are getting treasure through sinful means. Now, this was in their house still, and I believe what this is telling us is not only had they taken treasure wrongly, but they had no intention of giving it. 
They had no intention of relinquishing it. They had no intention of doing what was right and restoring it. Somebody help me out, but was it Zacchaeus in the New Testament who when he finally got right with God, he restored, I forget how many fold, four, fourfold? But God here is saying, look, you, you've taken this and, and you don't have any intention on giving it back. You don't have any intention on doing the right thing. Now, remember back there in chapter 2, they had already, God had already brought the indictment against them that they were guilty of taking lands and houses. It was people's inheritance, and it really angered God that they would do such a thing. Let me read that to you again. Micah 2, verses 1 and 2. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields, and they take them by violence and houses, and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man and his heritage. They had no shame in cheating people. You hear me? No shame. I mean, it was just rampant. And, and they especially took advantage of the poor. For those of you in the military, if you've PCS'd enough, you notice that outside the gate of a lot of the training bases are all these loan shark businesses. I think, I think they finally passed some legislation that was supposed to scale some of that back to where they could no longer charge you like 300% interest like they were doing. Why? People want to take advantage of the poor. And those poor airmen, well, now they make a lot more money than back in the day. But uh, we, we see this kind of thing all the time even today. People take advantage of those in a tough spot. Those that are poor and need help. And, and people take advantage of that to gain more money. It's treasures of wickedness. And so here in chapter 6, they were guilty of cheating people through false balances and false weights. The end of verse 10 connects the treasures of wickedness to what God calls the scant measure that is abominable. Now, a scant measure means a lean measure. That'll be me in 2022. I will be a scant measure of a man. It'll be lean. I mean, look, I'm getting there. The Hebrew word for scant, it's used three times in our Old Testament. Once here, obviously. The two other times, it is translated as leanness. So this is a lean measure. Psalm 106.15, And He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. That's the same word for scant. So a scant measure is a lean measure. In other words, they were defrauding people by not being truthful about their measurements. It would shave a weight or whatever the case may be, and it would be leaner than they maybe said it was or whatever the case was to make them more money. Uh, Amos 8, verses 4 and 5. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat? You know what they're saying? We really want to work on the Lord's Day. Making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit. So over there in Amos, when it talks about making the ephah small, it's the same here in Micah 6.10 where it says the scant measure. And God called this abominable at the end of verse 10. You know what that means? What God saw them doing, He abhorred. He hates what they were doing. Well, my God's a God of love. I got news for you. The Bible says He hates some things. 
And he hates when people are cheated. Especially the poor. We're so blessed in America. Amen. Even the poorest among us usually lives better than most of the world. God abhors this. And so God says in verse 11, Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? God could not look upon their abomination of taking advantage of people through deceit and then try to say they were pure. But that's what they wanted. They wanted to live any old way they pleased and still say I'm pure in God's eyes. That's what their hope was. We'll see that here in a minute. I think I have a verse on that later. God says, I can't call you pure. They thought they could uh, fool God. They were able to fool the people. But listen, you cannot fool God this morning. He knows your heart. And so they fooled the people though. And of course, I've never lived in those kind of days. So I don't know what all this entails and having balances and all that. I mean, I have an idea, but I've never been defrauded in that way. But Hosea 12, verses 7 and 8, He is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. And Ephraim said, Yet I'm become rich. I have found me out substance. In all my labors they shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. They're saying, hey, I got money. Sweet, I did what I wanted to do. And you can't tell me that I'm sinful in this. Don't try to judge me. They could pretend they were upright all they wanted. But God knew. They were not honest in their dealings. They could not say that they didn't have iniquity and no sin. You know what Proverbs 30 and verse 12 says? There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a group of people that try to say, no, I'm good. Even with all the deceit, even with all the sin, even with all the lying, God says, no, you're not pure. Now, I've, I've highlighted, especially there at the end of chapter 5, with those indictments that brought, God brought against them there, how God had warned them ahead of time not to do those things that He was bringing before them. And I'm going to do that again here in just a moment. But you know, God always warns us. He always warns us. He is a good God. It is a good God who warns you of judgment to come. By the way, it's a good prophet who warns you of judgment to come. Who will stand up there and preach the Word of God. And and God says, look, I've told you not to do this. He always sends commands. He always gives warnings beforehand because God wants us to know the right way to walk in. Leviticus 19, verses 35 and 36. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight, or in measure. Just balances, just weights, a just epha, and a just hen shall ye have. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. When God brought them out and He's giving them the law, He told them right from the beginning, don't cheat people. Don't defraud people. And then in Deuteronomy, before they're about to go in, Deuteronomy is the restating of the law, if you will. And in chapter 25, verses 13 through 16, Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thy house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and a just weight. A perfect and a just measure shalt thou have that thy days may be lengthened in the land 
which the Lord thy God giveth thee for all they that do such things. And all they that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord. So God had already clearly warned them. Don't falsify in business. They weren't to be deceitful in all of their dealings with folks. In those days, they, they would use that balance, right? Everybody kind of picture that? And, and I think even in, in legal circles, there's always that, there's like a, a picture of a balance somewhere. Isn't that on the Supreme Court even? I can't remember. Yeah, the, the, the just weights. And, and, and the idea is that if we're going to have right judgments, then we need to have a true weight, a true balance. Uh, in order to weigh those things out. And God didn't like it when they would mess with those things and have somebody pay more than they should have paid or be given back less than they should have been given back. And so God, He had clearly warned them not to do this. Um, Some people, what they would do is they would mislabel the weights. And it would say that it was one thing when it really weighed another. And it would be heavier or lighter depending on what would help them out. And then if you had correct weights what you could do is you could manipulate the balance. And you could make it weigh out wrongly. And so you could do both. And you could really cheat people. Listen, this is one of the things that God had a problem with when He came on the scene as, as Jesus Christ. And remember He had to cleanse the temple? They were getting money through all kind of deceitful means. They were taking people on the exchange rates. They were selling bad sacrifices. They were, they were cheating people. God said, I've had enough of it. Throws over the table. My house shall not be called a den of thieves, but it shall be called a house of prayer. And so he had to clean it out. And so God, he doesn't like when people are are manipulating others. Proverbs 11 and verse 1, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 20 and verse 10, Diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 20 and verse 23, diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. Now, I hope this morning that in Sunday school, I don't have to convince you that God doesn't want you defrauding people. I mean, I hope you already know that. Thou shall not steal. I shouldn't have to convince you all of that. I think, I think you understand that God wants us to be just. That God doesn't want us defrauding people. We're not to act abominably and cheating people out of their money. We should never take advantage of people as God's children. But we should be honest to the poor and the rich. And listen now, we should be honest to the heathen and the Christian. Now, if you've been around long enough, you know that there's people that'll put a little Jesus fish on their cart in order to get business. And they end up being scoundrels. My parents went through that. Some guy posed as a Christian business guy, ended up taking them for thousands of dollars. Um, there's, there's just dirt bags out there is what I'm saying that will take advantage of you. And so, listen, as Christians, as God's people, we're supposed to treat everybody equitably. Proverbs 28, 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. Considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. You know what God says, work? <laughs> well, I'm going to work at playing the lottery. Okay. Work. If a man doesn't work, he's not supposed to eat. Well, that's a big problem in our country today, and I'm not going to go there. Listen, we should know that a good name is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. 
what is your name worth to you? Now, aren't you glad there's nothing wrong with having riches? I mean, I'd like to at least try it out a couple times. <laughs> there, there's nothing wrong with that. And I am so thankful that God has blessed some Christian men and women to be very rich, very wealthy in order to help others and to help their home church and think, praise God. There's nothing wrong with riches, but there's a problem with riches having you. And, and God says we're to have a good name over riches. Now, I, I'm sure we all have our stories. I was defrauded once by thousands of dollars. Long story short, it was a person in the church. That always makes you feel good, amen? And so I won't go into the details, but eventually I said, you know what, I'm just going to pay it, brother. I'm just going to pay it. I don't want anything between us. I want to be blameless. And I paid them thousands of dollars. It took time. But you know what? He can't come up in here and say, I've got a problem with that man. A good name is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. And by the way, that's one of the qualifications for a bishop, to be blameless. You don't want people being able to bring accusations against you from the community, certainly not from within the church, which this would have been the case back then. And, and I'm sure you've all got your stories. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's ever been defrauded. But we have to make a decision. How important is our name? Back to our text. God hated their false balances and their false weights. They were not dealing justly with the people. Now, this is important because I believe what God is doing here in this set of verses is He's taking what He said in verse 8 and He's laying out that indictment. Remember, this is a court scene that we've seen earlier on in chapter 6, and it may very well continue into this, these verses. And, and God says, but I'll show you what I require of you. This is what's good, and this is what the Lord doth require of thee, that you do what? You do justly. Do justly. And God here says, you're not doing justly. You've got false balances. You've got diverse weights you got treasures of wickedness. So don't try to tell me that you're doing justly. This is what I require. This is what's good. Do justly. And so God here, He's just building upon that case by letting them know, no, 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 don't try to tell me you're doing justly. Don't tell me we're just going to offer more sacrifices and we're just going to up our system of, of Christianity, if you will. We're just going to put on a better show. God says, no, listen, it is in your house. Do justly. Do the right thing. Instead of doing justly, we read in verse 12, For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So not only did they not do justly, but get this. What's the next thing in verse 8? They did not love mercy. I will show thee, O man, what thou shalt do. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. You're not doing justly because you got diverse ways. You're not loving mercy because there's violence with you. Remember what I read over in chapter 2? You're taking their property by oppression. We just put it in different words in our, our day in America. We call it eminent domain. Property taxes. Excuse me? So I pay off my house and I still owe you money every month? 
They were violent. They were liars. They were deceitful. They did not love mercy. God said, that's what I require of you. It was all about the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So again, riches aren't the problem. It's the love of the riches that are the problem. Micah 3.11, The heads thereof judge for reward, the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. I've read that verse several times throughout this indictment. Um, their problem was money. The leaders were corrupt. The, the prophets were corrupt. The priests were corrupt. The people were corrupt. They all wanted more and more money. And it says, goes on to say there in Micah 3.11, Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. And again, they're, they're, the thought is, we're pure in our own eyes. I know we're taking all this and I know I'm preaching for money and I know I'm just giving prophecies for money and, and I know that the, the, the governmental leaders are just doing things for money, but God is still among us. After all, have you noticed on our debt tender it says, in God we trust. We can put it all over the place. God is not among us. Amen, I'm talking nationally. We got issues. Isaiah 1.23, the princes, the princes, the, the leaders are rebellious. Remember, Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah. The princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither, do, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. They followed after rewards. Listen, they judge not the fatherless, neither do they care... For the widows. The rich were the ones who had the means in those days to be a blessing to the fatherless and the widows, right? Everybody could in some way, but they had the resources to actually do certain things that others couldn't. But, but what does it say here in our text? The rich were violent. And the just, uh, they just kept taking all that they could. Even from those who needed help, the ones that they were supposed to be helping, they were defrauding. Proverbs 14.31 says, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Proverbs 22.16, He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Proverbs 22.22, Rob not the poor because he's poor. <laughs> I love that because it almost sounds like rob the rich because he's rich. Rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. You know, the Bible says that there is great blessing when we bless the poor, when we help the poor. And I'm talking about the legitimate poor, amen. Not the bum with a handout and you say, here, I'll pay you 20 bucks, come wash my car. And he says, no. Okay. You're just panhandling, you're making money, whatever. That's your job, amen. But there's blessing, Tyler, in helping the poor. Proverbs 19, 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he, God, pay him again. There's blessings. And listen, this is hard as a pastor sometimes because we get all kind of hard cases that come in here. And you have to try to discern, is this person legitimately needy? Or are they just looking for free money and know that a church is an easy target? 
can give you a perfect example. Adrian was right there when it happened. I was in my office one day studying, and a lady came in, and she needed some help. Great, let's help me. We had just had an event, and we had all this chicken left over. She was talking about how she needed all this food. I said, Adrian, go downstairs. And, or Adrian suggested, I think. She went downstairs, got that chicken, brought it up. And that lady got so mad, she stormed out of the office mad, saying, I don't want your help. I thought you wanted some food. No, you just wanted money. Yeah. It's very difficult because we want to help people. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's your heart's desire. You, you, want to, you want to help folks. God says there is a blessing there. Proverbs 22.9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Proverbs 28.27, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. You know what Jesus said in a parable for him? He said, if you've done it unto one of those, you've done it unto me. If you, if you gave drink to somebody who was thirsty, you fed somebody who was hungry, you clothed somebody who was naked, you went to go visit those that are in the hospital. You went to visit those that are in the prisons. If you did that, you, you've done it unto me. So there's blessings there, and it's a very serious matter with God. I, wanted to keep, I really wanted to get this done. I wanted to show you how not only had they not done justly, how they have not loved mercy, but they also were not walking humbly with their God. And that was the whole thing there in verse 8. So until next time, we'll, we'll look at that next time. All right, let's pray.